Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your trusted resource for the latest strategies, tactics, and tips on running a high-performance sales development program. Sales development has grown to become a critical part of the success of high-growth companies, and we dive in each week on how to specifically make your program successful and accelerate your career advancement. Subscribe at iTunes, YouTube, and jump on the newsletter over at 10pound.com to make sure you never miss an episode. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am joined today by a legend in our industry, <laughs> an expert in all things sales development and growth, Mr. Kyle Coleman, VP of Growth at Clary. How are you doing today, sir? I am living the dream, David. Thank you so much for having me. I'm living the dream to have you on, man. I mean, I learned so much from the information that you share on LinkedIn, you know, on best practices of sales development and you know, just freely sharing this information to help the community. So I just, first of all, want to thank you for, you know, all the contributions that you make to us. That's mighty kind. It's a testament to the team that I'm fortunate enough to work with. They teach me something new and exciting and creative every single day. So I'm just taking what they're doing (laughs) and just publishing it. The credit is not mine. It definitely belongs to the team. Well, that's excellent. And you're, well, you're a great curator and editor then. So I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) because it seems like every day, just super helpful information. So everybody, before we get started, if you're not following Kyle on LinkedIn and the various other social networks, Kyle Coleman at Clary, stop everything right now, hit follow and make sure that you get into his stream because it's really, it's really great information. Kyle, before we get started, how did you get into sales development, you know, and grow your career to be VP of growth at Clary? How long of an answer do you want here, David? Because I could... (laughs) I can go 30 seconds or I can go 30 minutes. You tell me. You know, somewhere in between. Okay, cool. So my first job out of college was a sales job. I was a financial advisor for a company called Edward Jones. And that was where I got my first really formal sales training. Everybody flew out to St. Louis at the headquarters and got a two-week really intensive, you know, 60 hours a week type training. And it was really, really great. However, this was in 2010 in the height of the financial crisis. Not the best time, it turns out, to be selling financial advice. So... I moved along from that and just kind of did my own thing for a little while, taught myself a few different skills, web design, and did a few consulting gigs along the way. Then I did marketing for a US Senate campaign. And then I moved out to California and worked at an advertising agency. And then I went and became the sixth employee at a company, a small company at the time, obviously called Looker. I was the first sales and marketing hire at Looker. I gravitated toward the SDR org because I really found it interesting to kind of exist right between sales and marketing. And I really enjoyed, and I still do enjoy, obviously, the process of sales development. I I find it fascinating. I also really liked working with people that were new to a professional career or new to the industry and really got a lot of personal fulfillment out of coaching and mentoring those people. So I grew the SDR team at Looker from just me to about 65 people globally over the course of six years. The company got up to about 800 people, about 110 million in ARR. About 40% of that ARR was outbound sourced until we were acquired by Google in the summer of 2019 for $2.6 billion. And then I moved over to Clary, where I lead sales development, growth marketing, and enablement for the whole company, pre-sales and post-sales. Holy cow. Wow. Okay. So hit your wagon to this star, folks. <laughs> this is going to be good stuff, man. That's amazing. That's amazing. Quick question for you. Looker, were they in Santa Cruz? Yes. Okay. Right on the main drag there in, in downtown. 
That's right downtown on Pacific Ave. That's amazing. Okay, so I'm a banana slug. I'll just admit that for everybody. So definitely Santa Cruz has a soft spot. And I remember Looker being down there. What an amazing story. I mean, not to get too off track, but you come in, you're the first sales and marketing hire. You're in downtown Santa Cruz. How do you go from that to, you know, a billion dollar acquisition by Google? I mean, they're right there as a podcast, right? Yeah, it was a combination. You know, you have to get lucky. And we certainly were. The timing of product market fit in the market, the rise of cloud databases was there. It was just perfect timing for a company like Looker to really explode and upend some more traditional business intelligence systems. But I would say beyond the luck, What was really interesting about Santa Cruz and for the uninitiated, Santa Cruz is technically part of Silicon Valley, I think, but does not have the quote unquote traditional talent pool. You know, Stanford is not there. Mountain View and the Google Facebooks of the world are not there. And so the talent pool is non-traditional. And I think that really helped us, David, because what it meant was we weren't hiring people that all thought the same way. They were all trained the same way that went to the same schools or had the same parents or whatever. We were hiring people with really diverse backgrounds who brought something new and different to the table and made our organization, sales development, or any other department of the company really unique and think differently. So our SDR team, for example, we hired ski boot fitters and radio producers and English majors and philosophy majors and bookstore sellers, like all of these different walks of life that made our team really diverse in a lot of different ways. And that made us so much more agile and so much more willing to experiment. And that ethos has just been so firmly rooted in how I think about building teams now. It's not about check boxes on a resume. It's all about mindset and teamwork. And if you can find the right people that really, truly care about each other and want to help each other, that's the formula for success. And that really is the secret sauce that made Looker so successful. Amazing. So it comes back to the culture that you built. And it sounds like Santa Cruz was a little bit of a part of that. Forcing function. (laughs) Definitely. And you, you mentioned there were two things. One is sitting at the intersection between these different departments of where sales development is. And I think that's what really fascinates me about it as well. And then the people component of putting teams together at the Clary Generation Revenue Conference recently, you had groups from all different, you know, parts of the organization. So there were CEOs, CROs, you know, heads of RevOps, and they were all talking about working cross-functionally, you know, between marketing demand and sales dev and how it, how you can focus on that alignment to create a revenue machine. And I mean, this is something that we've been trying to figure out for a long time. And you're, you are right in the center of this maelstrom, you know? So I had some, you know, I'm curious, how do you think about alignment to create this revenue engine? And, you know, what are some of the benefits that you see in thinking of it that way? Yeah, it's a really good question, David. And it's not a simple, it's not an easy answer. It sounds simple when we say it, but it's not easy to do this. And the answer is simply aligning around the same success criteria. And the, the success criteria that matters most to pretty much any company, especially a B2B company, growth company, is revenue. And if all of the functions across the whole org are focused on their revenue impact, that is a completely different paradigm than, for example, if a marketing team is gold on the number of leads it creates, or if the customer success team is gold around customer satisfaction score, only gold on those things. And I don't mean to say that those 
measurements aren't important. They are. And yes, a marketing team has to care about the tip top of the funnel and how many leads they're creating, but they have to not stop caring there. They have to look down the funnel and see, are these leads actually turning into qualified leads? Are they turning into qualified pipeline? Is that pipeline turning into revenue? And if everybody is really aligned and focused on the process that creates revenue, what are all the little things, the factors, what knobs can we turn? What levers can we pull in pursuit of revenue that forces alignment between the teams? And that's what generation revenue is really meant to show is that all of these functions across the company have a revenue impact. And it's just a matter of aligning people around that and making sure that they can see how their day-to-day work connects to closed business. It doesn't necessarily mean compensating them on closed business. It just means showing how you know A leads to Z and filling in all the blanks along the way. So it's just simply a matter of cascading context and aligning everybody around what the true goals are of the company and what their impact is in service of those goals. Okay. You said something really interesting, revenue impact. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about alignment, you're thinking about revenue impact and how that cascades throughout. So how do you know if you're making an impact on revenue? Say you're a marketer and you're creating leads and the the old metric is the number of leads that you create, you know, from an event or something like that. How do you connect that activity to revenue impact? It's a great question. It is doable in a couple different ways. You need some sort of tool to, to measure this, whether you're using your CRM for this whether you're using spreadsheets for this or whether you're using a more robust and platform, something like Clary to to do this, you have to measure this in some way. And if you can show, maybe not at the individual lead level, but let's say at the campaign level, you know, we just did our event. Let's talk about this event that we did. Yes, the generation revenue, the Gen R event we did was meant to take this message to market and create awareness and, and make sure everybody understands what their role is in the revenue engine. But also it was a revenue generating effort on our end. And so our marketing team, our events team, they have a pretty robust operations sort of means of tracking who registers for the event, who attends the event, which sessions do they go to, what content do they download afterward. But the measurement doesn't stop there, David. And unfortunately, this is where a lot of marketing teams will sort of not stop, but it's where they stop paying as close attention or or adding as much scrutiny. They say, all right, we had a registration goal of a thousand people. We got 1200 people. Our work here is done. But modern marketing teams are saying, let's get these operations in place so we know who registered, we know who attended, and we can track them all the way through the funnel. So now we know X number of people registered, a certain percentage of them attended, and a certain percentage of those turned into early stage opportunities. Now we've gone from lead to opportunity measurement, and now we're talking about pipeline. So now instead of the CMO, going to the CFO and saying, we got 1,200 people to attend this event. Now the CMO goes to the CFO and says, we generated $6 million of pipeline, qualified pipeline from this event. And that's a completely different conversation for executives to have. That's a completely different conversation for an individual marketing manager to have with a manager of sales because it's they're speaking the language that matters to the business. They're speaking to the, to the language that really moves the needle as far as what the company is trying to accomplish. And so having some sort of means of tracking things all the way through the funnel is critical for a modern revenue team. And again, a revenue team is everybody who touches revenue to really understand what their impact is. 
it becomes a revenue team. And, and that's what I'm curious about is it seems like from an organizational structure, you know, we still have the go-to-market team set up in structure from like 50 years ago, you know, so you have the silos still exist in a lot of companies, even new companies that just start, you know, they've got the marketing team, the SDR team, the sales team, and, you know, it's almost the way that they're set up. So how do you think about, you know, as the VP of growth, how do you think about aligning everybody from a organization perspective so they don't fall into the silo trap? It is, again, sounds simple, but not easy. And one of the, one of the ways to do this is the way that we've approached this at Clary, which is a literal org design where our growth team, as I mentioned before, includes demand generation, field marketing, marketing ops, as well as sales development and enablement. And I, I lead this growth team and I report directly to our CRO, but I have a dotted line to our CMO. And I sit in both of these staff meetings, our CRO staff meeting and our CMO staff meeting. So I understand what the priorities are for all these different stakeholders. And our growth team therefore serves as sort of this translation layer between what the sales team is talking about and needs to happen and what the marketing team is prioritizing and making happen. And we make, we force alignment by just being in the middle here and blending some, some departments that are traditionally more siloed or more separate, as you mentioned, David. So that's one way of doing it is that org design way. And I'll stop there and see if you have any questions about that. <laughs> no, that is very interesting. So you're sort of the connective tissue between these. And, and it's interesting because not to get, you know, off track, but if you think about the, the CRO is in charge of revenue for the company. And the CMO is in charge of sort of feeding the growth engine to achieve that revenue. And, and so it feels like if they have a good relationship, I mean, it kind of comes down to like a human thing. Like if they're getting along well, then you're able to really do your job as the connective tissue. Do you feel that that's true or? No doubt. It's okay. totally true. And for the CRO and the CMO to have a good relationship to trust one another is so important. And it's tough. It's honestly, it's very tough, David, for a CMO these days, because yes, performance marketing is a large part of what a CMO manages and demand generation. And a lot of these things are measurable, but a lot of things in marketing are not measurable. You know, what's the impact of brand awareness? That's a really tough question to answer in a short term sort of way. It, it's, there's a long tail on the impact of brand awareness, but a CMO is still responsible for doing that. And so what the CMO has to do is balance all of these different things, the short-term kind of month by month or quarter by quarter needs of the CRO with the long-term needs of the company. And as long as the CMO can speak that language, that short-term language to say pipeline, qualified pipeline revenue, then they give themselves more license. They earn a little bit more leeway to spend money on the things that don't have an immediate impact because they show they already get it. We know what we have to do this quarter, but we also know what we have to do this year, two years, five years. And we're trying to you know, balance both these things at the same time. And so that's, it's a tricky thing for the CMO, but again, because these reporting capabilities are getting more and more robust and a CMO can have more insights into what's happening and what's going to happen, they get more leeway from CRO, CEO, CFOs to do all the marketing mix things that they need to do to make sure the company sustains. We have to speak the same language and have that trust. And the tenure of these senior executives is shorter and shorter, it seems, each year. So it's really important that we get this, right? 
That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Tenure of a CRO, the average tenure of a CRO is a year and a half, right? 18 months, something like that. And I think the CMO is not much longer, unfortunately. There's just so, especially at these growth uh, startup type VC funded companies or PE backed companies. And so the pressure is on. And so that alignment at the top, at the C level is so important. And again, so the second way I mentioned org design is one way to, to keep people all aligned. The second way, as I mentioned before, is just having the same success criteria. And so our growth team, again, I'm reporting to the CRO, dotted line to the CMO. Our growth team is responsible for the entire pipeline generation number for the whole company. And this is a unique thing about Clary. Of course, we own marketing source pipeline because growth marketing is part of our umbrella. And of course, we own SDR source pipeline because again, SDR department's part of growth. But we also take on sales source pipeline as a KPI because we have enablement on our team as well. And so our growth team is the single throat to choke as it relates to pipeline generation. So now our CMO and our CRO know who's accountable for pipeline. They know which programs, inbound programs, outbound programs, account-based programs are doing what. And they know what success looks like. And everybody's aligned on how much pipeline we need to create and why, how much pipeline coverage we need in quarter and out quarter and why. And are we doing the right things in service of the revenue targets that we have? And a lot of this, again, is is powered by our own platform with the predictive components to look at what's going to happen three, six, 12 months out. But you don't need a robust platform like Clary just to get going like this. You just need to start building the muscle by thinking about pipeline and pipeline coverage and revenue targets at some point in the future. 100%. This is so interesting because when you see a great musician, you know, they make it look so easy. It's just like, yeah, they just picked up the guitar and they're just shredding, right? But there's so much work and development that goes on behind the scenes. So, but you make it look easy, right? (laughs) We're still figuring it out, David. I mean, it's a maze that we're trying to navigate here. But the nice thing and the organizing principles, org design plus shared success criteria, it gives us a permission structure to say no. To things. And what I mean by that is, you know, the sales teams always want or need something. Executive teams always want or need something. There's a new flavor of the week. There's a new competitor. There's new whatever. But because we are all aligned around what our goals are, we can say, is that thing really going to impact revenue? Is that going to help us in our pursuit of pipeline? If yes, great. Let's go figure out how we can do it. If not, thanks, but no thanks. Great idea. We'll put it in the parking lot until we can prove that it's, some, it's going to have some sort of pipeline impact. And the same is true with enablement programs we run. The same is true with every SPIF that we design. Same is true with every outbound program that we run. Everything we ask that question, is this going to have a true impact on revenue? And we're really honest with ourselves about that. And so it's, it's nice. And I know it, it sounds super simple to say this, but it's hard to say no to a hungry salesperson. It's hard to say no to an executive. But if you have that framework and it's well justified and it's well understood, and you can defend your decisions because of the pipeline impact that your plan is going to have, it makes the conversation much, much easier. Yeah. This is so interesting because I've seen where this works in organizations and then where it doesn't work. And I think it does come back to those relationships that you have, especially at the high level. If everyone's sort of, there's a feeling of trust and respect and that we're all rowing in the same direction, this, you can create a machine like you're talking about, and it can go the other way. You know, if someone comes along that blows it up. Question for you, you touched on bringing a diversity of thought and, and not necessarily, you know, stereotypical team. 
And I'm thinking when you, when you set up this alignment structure that you have, you've got a lot of creative juices flowing and creative strategy because you have that filter toward revenue. So how do you foster that, that creativity in, in the strategies? It's such a good question, David. And the key, again, I, I'm saying all these things and they sound so simple. So please forgive me if, if I'm making it sound know. too easy, but it's about hiring people that you trust and trusting the people that you hire. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, yes, there needs to be robust onboarding. And yes, there needs to be a framework that people can work within. But within that framework, you have to provide a lot of room for autonomy and experiment- structured experimentation. And you need to ensure that people know that it is okay to fail and even expect it to fail as long as you communicate about those failures and don't continue to fail the same way over and over again. But if everybody on the team understands that they have that room to be autonomous, use their brain, create their own scripts, run their own marketing programs, run their own experiments, report back on that and iterate, that's the key. I haven't been an individual SDR for six and a half, seven years, something like that. Who am I to go and tell a current SDR how to do their job? They're doing it every day. They're doing it for 40 or 50 hours a week or whatever it is. They need to be the ones teaching me what's working in the modern day. And so all of the process evolution that we have, for the most part, is bottoms up. I, my expectation from leadership is that we communicate what needs to happen and why it needs to happen. What are we trying to do? What is our strategic initiative? What is our business initiative? What are our goals? And why do they matter? Cascade that context top down. But then how we make it happen is a bottoms up exercise. And we've hired the people across the entire growth organization and then across our entire company to go and figure it out. And that's the kind of trust that we need, you need to have in your people to stay agile, to stay iterative, to ensure that the work you're doing today is similar, but not the same as the work you're doing six, 12 months from now. It has to evolve. And the people that are doing the work have to be the change agents. I love that. And so, and, you know, looking at hiring your, you know, your hiring practice, I have a feeling and correct me if I'm wrong, but you think really deeply about hiring because you want to make sure that you can build that trust. So how do you find people like this? And you don't end up getting someone who's just like, yeah, I tried everything. And, you know, you give me all the ideas, Kyle, you know, (laughs) how do you find people like this? Yeah, it's not easy. And it it sometimes drives our recruiting team crazy because (laughs) (laughs) We have pretty high standards, but also an important part of our interview process, and I'll just speak about SDRs because it's the one that we do the most frequently, is we want those candidates to meet as much of the team as possible for two reasons. One, we want them to know who they're working with. We want to make sure that they jive with the team, that they understand the culture of the team, and they have an opportunity to speak to other people that are doing the same job as them and really pick their brain and have a day-to-day conversation. But the other way around is true too. We want as much of the team as possible to evaluate our candidates and to weigh in and to assess the team fit, the culture fit, the mindset type things. But what we're interviewing for is all about mindset. It's not so much about results that you've made happen in the past. Those are nice to have, but not necessarily a need to have. But if you can show three main things in your, across an interview process, again, for an SDR role at our company, we're very confident that you're going to be successful in the role. The first and most important thing for me is curiosity. If you can show that you are endlessly curious, this is the type of person that I know will do what I just described. 
they'll be the ones reading the reports and trying new experiments and doing a bunch of things in pursuit of improvement. They're the ones that are always asking questions. They want to learn the product. They want to learn the personas. They're, they're hungry for information. That curiosity is irreplaceable for me. The second thing is a passion for their work. You have to really care, not just about the results you get, but you have to really be passionate about the process. You have to enjoy writing the personalized emails. This is going to sound crazy, but you have to enjoy the cold calling. It's not impossible to do. If you're confident in your product, if you're confident in your knowledge, you enjoy cold calling. You enjoy helping people. So that passion is really important. And then the third is tenacity. You're going to fail nine times out of 10 at best. If you're only failing 90% of the time in this job, you're doing something really right. (laughs) So you got to be able to pick yourself back up and and get back to it. So curiosity, passion, and tenacity. And, And we have a whole set of interview questions that are designed around this. We have a set of exercises that are designed to, to test for these things. And without fail, we, we have such a low attrition rate, David, and we have such a high graduation rate out of our SDR ranks and into other departments that I'm very confident that this is a, a very strong way to hire top talent. Yeah. The only people that don't like this is your recruiting. <laughs> Precisely. God bless them, you know, we're driving. But the nice here. thing about it too, is it's something of a self-fulfilling prophecy here because we hire a group of people, a cohort of people that check all these boxes and they refer the people they know that think and act similarly, or maybe don't think they think differently, but they feel like fit the mold, fit the mindset. And so I don't know what the percentage is, David, but I think it's about half of the new hires we bring in are referrals. Half. That's a ton. So our recruiting team likes that. <laughs> yeah, that's, there you go. That's great. That's amazing. And great people know great people. So we save them that at least. So that you got your team together. So this is awesome. What does the cadence look like as far as meeting and setting goals, setting priorities, making sure everybody's on track? You've got all these different you know, people that are focused in on the, the revenue goal. How do you keep everything on track from like a project manager perspective? This is a good question. So a couple ways at the highest levels, we have a biweekly top of funnel review call where we're looking at two main things. And this audience of this is our executive team, as well as key stakeholders across sales and marketing and other other revenue orgs. And we're looking at two main things. We're looking at quarter to date production in pipeline production in our various segments. So we have our commercial segment, mid-market enterprise, our EMEA region. How well are we tracking against the goals that our finance model produced at the start of the quarter? And the second thing that we're looking at is out quarter coverage. So Clary, like a lot of other B2B complex sales cycles, has you know three to six month sales cycles. So the work we're doing today is impacting the results of tomorrow. And so we're using our own product to look at out quarter coverage. How much pipeline do we have set to close in Q3? And is that good or bad? Is that coverage ratio where it needs to be? And so this is where things get really interesting, David, and this is what Clary allows us to do is we can see not just the pipeline coverage ratio. A lot of companies do this and they say, oh yeah, we got 4X coverage. We're good to go. But what Clary allows us to do is look stage by stage, how much of that 4X coverage is in stage one versus stage five. And if we have a lot of it in stage one, then we need to go and figure out deal acceleration programs to run. But if a lot of it is in stage three, then we're feeling pretty good that that pipeline has a true chance of closing next quarter and we can continue our focus on filling the funnel. 
So we're able to make really granular decisions about what we need to do as a growth team to support the revenue targets. Then the output of that is a quarterly exercise of setting quotas for specifically for our SDR team. And we call it revenue development. So we actually call them RDRs. So our RDR team has goals that are similar, but not the same quarter over quarter. And so just to continue this sort of exercise where let's say we have a lot of pipeline that's set to close, but it's in early stages for Q3, which is our next quarter. When we are looking at SDR quotas for Q3, yes, they need to continue to fill the funnel, but they also need to be involved with their account executives to accelerate those deals. And our growth marketing team needs to structure programs and allocate budget that is around deal acceleration. And so our SDR quotas, therefore, are weighted toward making moving things down funnel. So we have a really interesting compensation system. It's a point-based system like many other SDR orgs are, where we're compensating for stage zero, opportunity creation, stage one, opportunity qualification, as well as stage two, which is a solution fit. This is a you know, really meaty deal, a committed deal type thing. And we just ratchet up the number of points that each of those categories is worth every quarter, depending on what the business needs. And this is how we make sure that we are all aligned. And then of course, our managers are having weekly conversations with our reps to ensure that things are tracking appropriately and helping them unstick things. And our growth marketing team is running the right programs that have the right impact and and everybody is aligned, but it all starts with that bi-weekly meeting where as an entire company, and especially at the executive level, we're aligning on what we need to make happen in support of revenue goals. It comes back again to the success measures and making sure everybody's on the same page. Amazing. Okay. So sales development leaders, they're listening to this. They're going, okay, we've got some of this, you know, we're not as aligned as we should be. I have no power over the org structure and stuff like that. What can a sales development leader do to start to drive some of this and eventually hopefully get to the point where there is alignment? It's a great question, David. And it's one I've seen a lot of SD leaders kind of throw their hands in the air and say, oh, woe is me, I'm powerless here. And it's just simply not true. And I know this because I was this person three or four years ago. (laughs) And it goes back to something we mentioned earlier, David, where sales development, business development, revenue, whatever you're calling it, sits right between sales and marketing. And so you, Mr. or Mrs. Sales Development Leader, have a really unique position in the company where you speak both languages better than anybody else at your company. You understand what matters to marketing. You understand what matters to sales. Go and force yourself into those team meetings. And at first, probably you can just be a fly on the wall. That's fine. But you, if you're a manager level, director level, VP level, whatever it is, you should have a seat at the table with people with a similar level of seniority or even a higher level of seniority. And this is what was so useful about my time at Looker is that I, the first four years at Looker, I spent reporting to our CMO. We were building the business, product market fit, learning messaging and positioning, all that sort of thing. The second two years or the last two years of my six-year tenure at Looker, I reported directly to our CRO. And so I have a unique perspective on why having relationships with both really matter. And of course, I maintain relationships along the way in the entirety of that six years. But the important thing for SDR leaders is that you go and insert yourself in these conversations and you go out of your way to be, as you said, David, that connective tissue between those two teams. You have a seat at the table to say, 
Why are we quoted on meetings when our sales team doesn't care about meetings? Or why are we forced to follow up on leads that are not turning into pipeline? Ask these questions, have data-based evidence for why you're asking the questions and what is influencing your decision-making and propose something. Say, hey, I think let's try this out for a month or for six months or for whatever. Let's try aligning our SDR team against this success criteria. For us, it's qualified pipeline. And that's what I would suggest for any SDR leader out there. And that forces alignment between marketing and sales in a way that's really, really useful. But the first thing you need to do is go on a bit of a listening tour and really understand what the marketing team is doing, why they're doing it, what the sales team is doing, what they care about and why, what their growth plans, what their expansion plans are. And then you need to be that translation layer, that connected tissue that is aligning the strategies between those two departments. Amazing. And go back and listen to this <laughs> five times and get it down because Kyle is dropping so much knowledge here. It's and, and I kind of envision you, you know, trying to muscle your way into a conference room and someone sliding the door and you got a bunch of papers and you're like, we need to talk about this. <laughs> so, That's right. Don't let them close the door. <laughs> Don't let them close the It's the nice thing about the virtual world is yeah. it's easier than ever to see what's going on, to be a fly on the wall. And you know, if you're if your company your company culture disallows this from happening, that's a pretty major red flag, honestly. If your sales leadership or your marketing leadership isn't going to let you, you know, give you a seat at the table at a weekly staff meeting or whatever it is, that's a problem. And that's something that you need, you can also address. And you just need to make sure that you justify to them why this matters to you and really make sure they understand that you are trying to align some people get a little guarded about the strategies they're pursuing, the programs they're running or whatever it may be. And you need to earn their trust and show that it's okay for them to kind of open up the kimono a little bit and make sure that they know that you are trying to help them. You're trying to help the department, the company. Um, so it can be a bit of a long game that you have to play. Building relationships is always going to be the first thing that you need to do. So put in the effort to really understand the people that you're trying to influence and start start there and, and, and see what happens. Yes. And I like, you know, the campfire that you're around is revenue, you know, and that was the name of the conference, right? The generation revenue yep. for Clary. And, and it, it's like, that is something that everybody can understand. Like the reason that I'm elbowing my way into this digital conference room is because we need to talk about revenue people, right? Not MQLs and da, 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 all these things. So. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's not impossible to learn what metrics matter. And, and this is, I think there's going to be a bit of a learning curve for many SDR leaders out there, especially if you've been reporting into marketing for all this time and, and you've been a little bit disconnected from the opportunity funnel, the pipeline funnel, but go and learn about key metrics, key SaaS metrics and benchmarks around sales stages, sales methodologies, pipeline coverage ratios, different customer acquisition cost type things, all the acronyms that you need to know around ARR and ACV and TCV and all these things, you have to go and learn how to speak sales. All of this information is readily available. So take that upon yourself. And then the other way around is true too. If you're an SDR leader who's been reporting into sales for a long time, you understand all those things I just mentioned, but you don't have as much visibility into a marketing sort of organization, you need to go and learn what is a CMS what is the process for creating content? What is the design and creative process for doing all these things? What are the metrics that matter to a marketing organization? What is an MQL? 
What is marketing operations doing? What does Marketo do? You have to go and learn all of these things. That way you are adding value in the meetings that you're in. You understand the language that they're speaking. So again, it's an education, but it's one that you can self-serve. And I really, really recommend you, you go and do that. You make sure that you're fluent in both of these languages as much as possible, sales and marketing, so that you can go and be that change engine inside your own company. I love it. And, and you know, it's, it's funny because it takes us back. I've been in and around the sales development world for 10 years and as of you. And every day it's exciting and new and fresh because of what you're exactly saying. It's being at an intersection. There's so many different things to learn in order to string it all together. And, and you, you are like right at the vanguard, you know, I would say of, of doing this. So learn, you know, a ton here from Kyle, everybody. <laughs> it's amazing. So final thoughts, what, what's next for your program? What's next for you? What are you excited about right now? Gosh, there's so much going on, David. Okay. <laughs> there's so much going on. You're still following up from the conference, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there's so many, you know, we, we, the conference was so successful and, and Clary is really, the exciting thing is that revenue operations is a category that is relatively new. And Clary, from a thought leadership standpoint, is right on the forefront of defining what this category is. And revenue operations is not simply just a coming together of sales ops, marketing ops, and customer success ops. It really is a means of understanding your revenue process and all the different components within that process that can be broken down and optimized in pursuit, as we mentioned before, of maximum revenue. And so taking this message to market is genuinely very exciting for us as a company, very exciting for me as an employee of the company at the team level. The next challenge for us is taking all this machinery that we've built on the pre-sales side and transitioning it into the post-sales world. So we have rev dev reps that are going to be responsible for customer expansion. And that's going to be super, I'm really, really excited about this. I've sort of done this before, but not exactly with this level of focus. So really excited about post-sales demand generation, expansion, retention, upsell, cross-sell, all these sorts of things that, again, as you just mentioned, David, something is new and different every day. And I think the future of, you know, so much of SaaS is about customer retention and expansion. And I think the future of SDR is having a seat at the table in this post-sales world. And I'm excited to, to try and figure that out. That's so amazing. And I'll tell you probably the worst kept secret in <laughs> sales development is, you know, who's really great at that Zoom info. They've been doing that for years and they have, this will be another you know, podcast, but they've really, really been focused on that as an opportunity. So let's hook you up with somebody over there if you don't know anybody and, and learn from them. What an amazing awesome. opportunity. I can't wait to see what you do with it, Kyle. So thank you so much for joining us. I feel like I want to do more stuff with you. Like we got to do like a clubhouse or something. I know that you do those because we're just scratching the surface here and we'll get you on another podcast if folks want to follow you, they're not yet in your orbit. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. First of all, David, thank you for having me again. It's been a real blast. And yes, we could talk for hours and hours, and I'm sure we will. You let me know where to be and when, and I will be there. The only social platform I'm active on is LinkedIn. So Kyle Coleman, I think my little handle is Kyle T. Coleman, but uh, track me down, connect, shoot me a message. I'll do my best to respond. Although... Just if anybody from the LinkedIn product team is listening, you got to fix the messaging system. 
It's just, it's a nightmare. So I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. If you send me a message and I don't respond, don't take it personally. Follow up a couple of times. It's just hard for me to keep track. <laughs> it is. It is. It's almost like a Twitter feed. Like if you, if you miss one, it's gone forever. You know. So good to know. Okay. So there's a little tip for everybody, but I can't recommend it enough. Kyle, thank you so much. We'll see you on the next sales development podcast. Thanks so much, David. Thank you for listening to the sales development podcast. The only audio forum, 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.